Welcome to Small Subjects, Big Ideas About Miniatures and Modeling. I'm Jim DeRogatis in Chicago. And I'm Barry Biediger in Salt Lake City. How you doing, Barry? Uh, not too bad. How about you? I'm glad to hear that. You know, and in this episode, we wanted to talk about the upcoming uh, MFCA, Miniature Figure Collectors of America show, mm. in May. We'll have all the links uh, on the blog uh, on our our website, uh, uh, boxdioramas.com. You know, um, you know. Before one thing, we should probably mention uh, in the last episode, we put a advertisement in last minute for uh, Chris Metting's uh, book. That he, oh he's yeah, done. he 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 did a book uh, with uh, Ukrainian models uh, built by all kinds of different you know great modelers, uh, and all the proceeds except for just you know some of the really basic costs. I think he said ninety percent of the of the funds will go directly to humanitarian relief efforts. And uh, I we'll, saw that you ordered your copy already. Yeah, I I did. I ordered multiple copies, and you know. Yeah, so uh, I I intend to do that as well. And we had had Chris on the show, and uh, that was a great idea. And there's some fine uh, model manufacturers based in Ukraine. Oh, some some of my favorite. I mean, ICM. Their truck yeah. kits are just gorgeous. That one World yeah. War One truck uh, kit I did a mm-hmm, year ago. Mm-hmm. Beautiful kits and mini art. I mean, those mini full art. interior yeah. tanks and wow. Yeah. And yeah. some figures, some great figures. Great figures. There's a couple of air, airplane manufacturers, uh, Wingsy, and I think Dora Wings. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful kits. I mean, not that our, you know, uh, not that we're worried about you know future modeling supplies, but yeah, they they really are a big player in the modeling world. Well, you know, it just brings it home um, the global nature of this conflict. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But as I was saying, we wanted to plug the upcoming MSCA show, uh, which uh, people have been waiting for eagerly for two years uh, through the pandemic, canceling the last two. Yeah. And um, it gave us a good uh, opportunity to talk to Jack Lynch, who is a driving force in the MFCA, a longtime member, uh, really uh, key in revitalizing that club. They're actually meeting and not just doing the annual show. Yeah. Uh, and Jack is a fascinating... Um, uh, fella above and beyond that, he's been involved in basically every aspect of the hobby, uh, working in manufacturing, he's working at a hobby store now, uh, yeah. he's done, uh, he did a great box diorama, he's working on another one, he's done lots of figures for the uh, model railroad world, he's done garage kits, he's, you name it, Jack has done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting to hear the perspective of somebody who has done it for, as, for a living. A lot of people yeah. think they want to do it for a living, but, you know, they might not know <laughs> what it's really like. But that was interesting. It Well, you know, doing it for a living takes away from some of the joy of doing it uh, for fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, so here's Jack Lynch. Yeah, so uh, could you tell us, Jack, a little bit about the MFCA and, and your involvement with it? Okay. Um, MFCA, this is the 79th annual show coming up, so it goes back to the early 1940s. Um, started out as a toy soldier club, you know, mostly Britons and toy soldiers, which when you guys, it, back when I started going to the shows in the 70s, there was really a strong, still a big, strong contingent of toy soldier. 
in the back and my father would take me and that's where he would head because he remembered playing with all the toy soldiers that were on the table <laughs> and I would go over to the connoisseur painted figures and things but uh, yeah it's been um, meeting for years and years um, I went to the meetings when I was young my father would take me to front and Christian in Philadelphia at Old Sweets Church and Art Etchels was there and a lot of the guys yep. that aren't with us anymore but it was this little meeting of like like Jim was saying before guys with their jackets on and their pipes you know, walking around the church and as a kid i was lucky to have my father there because he was an adult in the room and i just kind of followed around um mm -hmm. they thought he was coming to the meetings but it was me um but back in in those days the meetings were strong um but over the years i think it's gotten to the point um i i went away to college in the early 80s came back um after college and kind of got involved with my family and everything. So I didn't really get back to the MFCA shows from the early 80s until about 1990 to 2000, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. I was gone, um, raising a family and so forth. But <clears throat> over those years, it seemed like it went from this club that met to a group of guys that ran the show every year. In other words, yeah. you know, there were the the only monthly meetings were in combine in combination with the DVSM, the Delaware Valley Scale Modelers, which is the IPMS locals, mm -hmm. and the MFCA guys, Dennis and myself, we'd go to that, and then come around January, February, then you'd get the ten guys running the show showing up because we had to get the show together. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, now we're meeting at the store that's associated with my business, AAA Hobbies in Magnolia, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. The last Sunday of the month, every month we're having meetings. Um, and it's nice because people are coming in from the outside, you know, people that don't know about yeah. it, which is nice. I use our business as marketing strength to, to get out there and recruit, get it out on social media. So Dennis and I are starting to try to breathe more life into the club <clears throat> from that perspective. In other words, we were having monthly meetings again now, bring your stuff, look at it. We'll have, you know, Local, but that's for local. Um, you get international at the show, and that's the big meeting every year is the the show, the show in March, which has been going on you know forever. Um, it seems like, but this year it's at the at, at the new venue, which is the Radisson Hilton, that is in North Philadelphia, at the intersection of Route One and the Turnpike. Mm -hmm. um, if you come to the website, the MFCA website, which is MFCA Club. Dot com. There's information on the show. Um, basically, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a big exhibition. It's it's probably the grandest exhibition of miniatures, painted miniatures, around. Other than Chicago, Chicago is on par with MFCA. They're the two shows. Um, MFCA is the older one. That's the granddaddy of all of them. And mm -hmm. if you're interested in painting miniatures, if you're interested in fantasy, there's a big fantasy contingent out of the show. So it's a yeah, two-day show, sure Friday and Saturday. Um, Friday's set up. Saturday is the actual competition. Um, people compete for gold, silver, bronze awards, and it's an open contest. You're not competing against other people. You're, you know, basically being judged on your yeah. quality of work. And I can't emphasize enough how much fun it is. Um, if you can go, you can buy your paints, buy your figures, compete if you like to, and it's a really good social outing. You know, if you're one of us. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's, uh, we went to the, uh, uh, the show in 2019, which is the last time you had an in-person show. Right. And that was right. at this new location. It used to be in Valley Forge, but I love the new location and it, yeah. it, 
You you don't miss the Scanticon. I don't. Uh, Barry? I don't. It, it had its charms. It had its charms. But but there's a Wawa near this new one in Travaux's. Oh, and I had never yeah. seen one before. So I've been introduced right to the door. joys of Wawa. Yeah, once you go, oh, Wawa, you, yeah. you don't go back. <laughs> no, that's that old location of the Scanticon. That hotel, like, had not been touched since the mid seventies, and uh, it was it was an experience. <laughs> What's really nice is during the the COVID lockdowns, they refurbished the hotel. They've mm. done a lot of work to the mm. hotel, and Dennis visited, I guess, two three weeks ago. And told me that all the lighting's been redone in the display rooms, and it's really, really good now. Mm-hmm. It's really bright, you know, really, really good lighting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a great hotel, very accommodating. It's easy to get to. I love it. It's like 20 minutes down the street from where I live. So that they even brought it closer, yeah. which is great. Mm-hmm. I started going. <laughs> I started going to the MFCA because Widener College or Widener University at the time was about 20 minutes from me, the other direction. And my mm-hmm. dad got a pamphlet and said, "Let's go see what this is." And it's same deal. I went to Widener College for a little while because I went to the figure show. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's a really good venue. Chose, chose, chose your higher education based on how close to figures. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. What, uh, what's the prognosis looking like, Jack? Um, so there hasn't been a, a live show since 2019. Um, Chicago came back, I guess it was the first, not to disparage Atlanta, but the first really big U.S. show. We found that our last in-person show in October was uh, phenomenal. Uh, but we didn't have any Europeans because the lockdown was still in effect for air travel. Um, MFCA, for whatever reason draws many more European modelers traditionally. I guess they figure landing in Philadelphia on the East Coast is closer than Chicago, even though it's just another hour. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, what's the prognosis look like? Are you seeing people registering for rooms from the usual crowd of of Europeans, Americans, everybody? I'm not sure exactly who's registered yet. That's kind of Dennis. I'm I'm the... I've stepped into the treasurer role, so I'm collecting the vendor mm. registrations and processing all that. Um, that being said, there's vendor registrations coming in, you know, every other day, it seems like, in the P.O. box. And Dennis said that people are registering hotel rooms. They're going pretty fast. Mm. You know, I can't speak to whether that's domestic or overseas, but I would hope that at this point it's opened up a little bit to the point where maybe people want to get out of where they're at and take yeah. a trip, you know. Yeah, the the vendor area at MFCA is just excellent. Yeah, I'm trying to get our place to get a booth in there at this point. I have to talk my boss into it. I'd love to be able to sell Vallejo paint and brushes and all the accessories and so forth. So we'll see. So tell us about the uh, business, Jack. Um, Yeah, where I work is, it's called FVB Enterprises, which basically is Felix V. Bass. That's the boss's father. And we're on our third generation now. Um, it started out as Bass Distributors, Bass Hobby Distributors, which turned into Stevens International Hobby Distributors. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a three-pronged business. You have the wholesale distribution element, which is Stevens. And then we have a storefront, AAA Hobbies. And then we have an um, e-commerce site, MegaHobby.com. So it's, it's a oh, really... Oh, your Mega Hobby. Mega okay. Hobby is... They're yeah. three separate yeah. businesses, but we all feed off of Stevens International. In other words, the warehouse mm. in the middle of the two businesses sells to both of us. So they're mm-hmm. they're not associated, but they we all do business with each other. The store the store is closer to the distributorship than Mega is. The store kind of feeds off of it, and we bring um, retailers through to show them. So it's kind of it works like a showroom slash store. Um, 
it's it's a really nice business to work for because you're working with all three elements of commerce, you know, which up to this point, working in, at other places, um, model railroad and such, you get kind of slogged down into just selling to retailers. So I have the advantage of being able to market to retailers plus to the public and then online, which really it's, it's, if it wasn't for that, I don't think the hobby shop would exist. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's the strongest store in the area. I don't say that just because I work there. I worked there because I was going there for years and years. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's nice to know that as a full line, and we distribute everything from Europe, Japan, um, Asia, I should say, all over the, the world. And it's nice to have a full stock of everything in the warehouse so that when someone comes in the store mm -hmm. and says, I need this Edward photo etch resin, whatever, I can say, okay, we don't put it all on the wall, but I go into the database, say, here it is, and I'll go in the back and get it for you. So, mm -hmm. you know, stocking complete lines of product in the warehouse makes the store just super because we're never out of anything. Mm. Uh, you know, That's great. Unless, unless That's like right great. now, there are some things that are short just because of logistics and things that are going on. Sure. Um, but yeah, and you brought up the Ukraine situation. That, that's really tough. We have a whole console of companies yeah. that ship together from the Ukraine, mm -hmm. Mini Art, ICM, Masterbox, yeah. all those guys. And we have really good relationships with them. And we've been in touch and we're kind of, you know, keep in touch with them. But we have like one big shipment coming in and that's going to be it. And they basically told us, yeah. you know, until further notice, you know, we're on the run. Yeah. Um, which is a, and there are there are people in the hobby that are doing things to help those companies, yeah. help those people who run those companies. It's uh, it's inspiring to see. Yeah. Um, so, but you worked for Bachman for years, oh, right? I've done the whole gamut. Um, <laughs> I, let me let me step back to the beginning here because yeah 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 Jim, well, we usually start at the beginning. Yeah. But yeah. Jim always says, "Hey, the train guy, the train guy, the train thing is just the kind of in the middle." Station in the middle. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I started out of college. Um, I got a degree in history. I was going to teach, and I student taught for a couple semesters, and, and just despised it. I, you know, they made you teach grade school kids, and I wasn't ready for that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to teach people that wanted to learn. So, so it just <laughs> yeah, didn't kick. Yeah. And I was like three quarters of the way out of college, and I was managing a hobby shop down in mm -hmm. Virginia, where I went to school at George Mason. And the guy I worked for basically said, you got 75 credits and don't be stupid, finish it. Just get the piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Best mm -hmm. piece of advice I ever got. So I finished it, got the degree, came out, didn't know what I was going to do with a degree in history. So I'm sitting one day on the back porch with my brother at my mother's house. And my brother always reads the one ads. He's, he's a postmaster. He didn't need to look at one ads, but he always did. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I was looking for a guy and he goes, look at this. And he points at an ad and he goes, it says model maker. I said, there's no such job. You can't, you can't make a living doing that. He goes, no, no, look, look, yeah. look. And I thought it was going to be something stupid. So I look at it and I read it. It says, model maker. I said, oh, I'm going to call them. So I called, and it was a company in Bucks County. that It's a design firm that would do prototypes and pattern work and samples for any industry. But it just happened they did mostly the toy industry. Hmm. So they said, send us a portfolio resume. So I did. I, I just put together, you know, figures I had painted models and things and just sent it to them, you know, mm -hmm. thinking that. And, not. and they basically came back and said, we'll apprentice you, you know, come on in. So I spent <laughs> 15 years at this design firm learning. They start you cleaning castings, which are samples that you put together for Toy Fair. They give you 100 dinosaurs and you got to clean every one of them up out of the mold room. Mm -hmm. paint them and ship them off you start there and then they move you into the paint room to see if you can mix colors and 
Luckily, I couldn't mix colors to save my life, so they didn't <laughs> keep me in the paint room. <laughs> um, and then they put you on the bench, and, and basically it was, they'd go to Mattel, they'd go to Hasbro, Kenner, all those companies. We did a lot of the, the original Star Wars toys came out of this shop a lot of them, mm. the very first toy ones. Um, but they would get a company, they'd say, what do you want to do? The company would come in, say, okay, we want to... A car that lifts up this way and this comes out and does it. Okay. So our guys in the drafting room would draw it all up in 2D. This was right on the cusp before CAD and everything. Mm-hmm. Draw it up. The, it would get approved and they'd send it into the model shop where we were. And that was the like to learn to scratch build and make things other than a kit. That was the epiphany because I learned that you could take a block of urethane, a square block measured out to the right size, and take the 2D drawing and cut out the side view, the top view, the end views, glue them all on that block and then mount it in a milling machine and just start cutting away and you could make that mm. object. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was like light went off. It's like bang. So they, they apprenticed me. I worked on learning the milling machines, the lathes, um, and so forth. And then toward the end went into the drafting room drawing AutoCAD and SolidWorks. But I spent 15 years there and that was very formative years. Um, I, I wasn't doing a whole lot of figure work for obvious reasons. I was doing it all day long, but I learned what making models was as opposed to building models. Mm. I mean, they, they would give mm. you a drawing and say, you got 40 hours. Here's your book. Hang <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to come and bother you, yeah. but we'll come at the very end and get it from you. And yeah. you learn to work efficiently and fast. And I learned, like I said, I, I learned how to read blueprints. I learned draft. Like when I first went in, you couldn't draw it on a computer. It wasn't at that stage yet. You could, mm-hmm. but it wasn't yeah. quite there. So we had to um, incorporate all the draft angle on a piece. Like if you picture making a mold and mounting a piece on a buck, everything has to, the mold, the steel has to pull off of it. So mm-hmm. we had to learn to mm-hmm. put all the draft on all the parts, two degrees draft on everything. So the mold would release, couldn't have any undercuts. So that, that was very helpful, like learning to, to make molds of my figures and things. I learned that you have to set up your parting line and know that none of the material is going to undercut anything and it can be pulled apart. So I, I learned a lot, you know, in those years. Um, mm-hmm. And then, then at the very end, all the, all, the, all the prototyping work was going overseas. Mattel, Mattel sucked up all the different companies. They bought Kenner. They bought Hasbro, I think. They bought... Tyco, all these companies, Tyco was right across the river from us. We got a lot of work from them, all their little slot car bodies we did. Mm. But Mattel sucked all the companies up and they went overseas doing everything overseas. So all the prototyping and drawing work disappeared. And we were left, Mm. we were left with sample programs, which meant they would, they would send us over like boxes full of parts and we'd have to clean them all up and paint them and make sure they, and it was, it was deadly awful. Um, mm. so that mm. was the point where I said, I think I'm done. I think it's time to you know move on because all I was doing was sanding castings at that point. Yeah. So that's when I went to MTH electric trains in Maryland. I, I had kind of, my father was, my father's father was a train engineer on the Pennsylvania railroad. Mm. So we were always around trains. They were always in the house. My dad took us to all the short line railroads, the whole nine yards. So one year for Christmas, I got my dad's old Lionel out. And I rewired everything. I took them apart, took all the old brittle, falling apart insulation, wire out, rewired them all, which is easy to do. They were they were made really well. So I put it all back together, and I put it up for him in his basement. And I used the exact same plastic-filled buildings, the whole nine yards. And he, he lost it on it. He thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then he started asking me, well, let's go look at the train store. I said, all right, let's go. 
And I hooked up with a guy that ran a train store and told me that this company down in Maryland, who is doing pretty advanced stuff with trains, might be looking for someone. And I hooked into them, and I spent about six years down in Maryland with MTH. And that was cool because they were just getting into digital technology. You know, they are getting into the technology where you take four, five, six, eight engines and put them on one loop of track and talk to them all individually, and they all had sounds, and they all did things. I mean, it was really pretty incredible technology. Yeah. Um, so I was there through that whole thing, which was really cool, um, through a couple lawsuits that Mike had with other companies that we were involved, just all kinds of crazy shit. But, um, but after that, six, about six years in, my wife's parents had a car accident, and her mother passed away, so we had to come up here and take care of her dad. So they asked me on the way out the door, do you want to... You want to sculpt some figures? I said, yeah, I can do that. And I spent about two and a half, three years sculpting figures out of the house for them, railroad-type figures. Mm. I would do a three-up, like a 120 millimeter, and they would take it and panograph overseas. I don't know how they did it overseas. they take them down to O-Gage. Um, so mm. I must have done about 20 or 30 sets of figures for them. And mm. it was great because when I started out, I wasn't that good. And by the time I was finished, I was pumping them out. It, it taught me a lot. You know when you well, I you know I did. I've never meant to minimize you when I've called you the oh, train no, guy, okay. uh, uh, Jack. But but when I saw those figures, uh, I'd seen that photo, and you just sent it to us um, of a crowd of 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 people at the train station, right? And all obviously figures you sculpted, and it made such an impression to me. And we wanted to talk to you too because it's uh, uh, you know some of those uh, model railroad figures are rough right? And some of them uh, are beautiful, right? And I thought, uh, well, here's an interesting perspective we don't often get in our end of the figure world on what, you know, comes from model railroading and mm -hmm. the production of those figures and stuff like yeah. that, you know. I mean, like, there are prizer sets, which are just beautiful, uh, of model railroad uh, yeah. figures um, that, you know, with a little work can be brought up to the level of the stuff we see at MFCA. And, uh, uh, you know, the whole idea of making your living uh, sculpting, uh, you know, a crowd for the platform, I, I, I was always fascinated by that. So I meant it as a compliment, oh, never no. to minimize <laughs> you. No, I appreciate that. I wanted you to know that I had a life before that in modeling, you know, that, that led, yeah. that led yeah, up yeah, to yeah. that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Every... no, well, yeah, and 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 taking the sculpt, uh, you know, you know, sculpting uh, uh, out of a block of urethane, these models, uh, that's fascinating as well. That's a perspective we don't often see, uh, you know, among our end of the hobby. Yeah, it's it's a shame because nowadays a lot of it is done on the computer. I mean, and God bless three mm -hmm. D. You know, I was doing SolidWorks at the end, and I loved it. But it's not the same as taking it physically and drawing it out and machining it and then, you know, using your burr on it and everything. Nowadays, it's they either RP the stuff, you know, they, they wrap a prototype it, print it out, or, you know, it's just not the same, <laughs> in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I found, I found mm -hmm. a box when I was at Bachman. There was a box of the original Birds of the Do you remember the Birds of the World that... I don't know if you ever remember, Bachman made these kits, and they were yeah. full-size birds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Oriole, the Hawk, the whatever. Well, I found uh, about six of them, the original urethane carvings that a model maker had set. And the bills, the actual receipts for them were in these boxes. I, they were in a closet at Bachman. They were cleaning out. You know, it was one of those closets mm. that was, you know, back in time, nobody had touched for 40 years. Yeah. I saw these boxes that said... Um, Ralph James Studios on them, which was one of the other shops in our area. Mm -hmm. 
they had done the original urethane carvings of these birds, and they were stunning. I mean, they were beautiful. If mm. you looked at the kits, yeah, okay, it's plastic moth. But when you looked at these solid carvings that some guy sat and probably spent a week on each one at his bench, really thin feather, they were beautiful. I mean, stunning stuff. But you don't see that very much anymore. You know, people aren't doing that. Yeah. But there were four, three or four shops right in our area that did a lot of that stuff in the early 60s. Like the Aurora Monster Models and things came from mm. either Ralph James or Paramount. There were three shops, Ralph James, Paramount, and Product Dynamics. That's what I worked for. Product Dynamics came from a couple guys left the other ones and formed their own company. But right in this area, mm -hmm. in Bucks County, a lot of the model work for the original pattern work for like Aurora, Bachman, all those companies came right out of this area. And it was all hand-carved mm. stuff. You know, really, you know, fascinating. I, I, I hope you saved. I hope you saved the birds. The birds Jack. are at Bachman's um, in their conference room in a case. I made them. Oh, I made okay. them good. put them good, somewhere good, safe. <laughs> I really did. I said yeah. this is like yeah. You know, it was some guy sweating labor for quite a while to do yeah. each one of those. It's really stunning. So I noticed in one of the photos you have a wax uh, sculpting machine. Is that primarily how you sculpt figures? Yeah. Now? Yeah. Well, when I was at the shop at, at PD. <laughs> the guys whose feet you sat at were the sculptors. Mm -hmm. They were they were the top of the model shop, you know, because they they didn't get dirty. They didn't have to go into the shop and run the machinery. <laughs> they didn't go into paint booths. You know, they sat at their desk and they had their things. And the way they taught me to do it was to build. And I know I can't show this on the the screen. Nobody's going to see it, but we would build a wire armature. You know, basically it's floral mm -hmm. wire twisted around, and then you get a figure cannon. And I found a really good one that actually has the wire armature illustrated on it. Oh, yeah. So you can mm. basically build that armature, and then I, I use a material called castelline, which is mm -hmm. a big block of, like, this color wax, gray, tannish color. Um, I get it up in New York company. Complete Sculptor, I think, is the name mm -hmm. of the company. Yeah. But basically, you get yourself a waxing unit which is um it's a, a big tray like a hot hot wax tray mm. you drop your big block of wax in that <laughs> you drop everything yeah in it's that. just cord. um no let me you take the wax armature and then you kind of take this heat thing and you put your wax in you heat it up till it's liquid and then you use a wax pen like a heated pen it's a jeweler's pen mm. basically mm -hmm. And you lay the wax onto the figure. You build up its chest. You build up its pelvis. You put, you know, musculature on the top and bottom of the arms, legs. And then pose it. You know, bend it to the pose mm -hmm. you want. And then fully dress it out by using the hot wax and the pen just to heave it on mm -hmm. as you go. And you just build it up. You build up the, the figure as you go and use wax carving tools. Um, I get those through these complete sculptor and whatnot. Just mm -hmm. basically, they look like dental tools, but if you buy really good ones, they are made for sculptors. They're not made for, you know, picking teeth or anything, so they're, mm -hmm. they're a little more thought out. But you basically just carve the figure, and it sounds so stupid to say this because it takes a long time to learn to do it, I know, but it's not that hard. If you get your proportions correct on the figure and using the cannon does that and you measure it by heads, you're going to come up with a decent piece of anatomy that, that looks good. And it's amazing the way this thing is built. He bends really nicely. You know, if you follow and you make mm -hmm. your wire armature correctly, you can make him do anything. And then you just start to dress it out and carve it. The only difference with this and, say, using epoxy sculpt and things like that, you have to make a hard casting when you're done. 
mm -hmm. other words, you, you, you can't paint wax. Um, uh, so right. that's kind of what I'm doing with the, the one figure I had that I sent you the picture of with the guy with the kid. Right now he's mm -hmm. being set up in wax. Mm -hmm. I'm laying him into wax and I'm going to make a rubber mold and then pop out hard castings and clean them up. And if I'm lucky, I'll have that at the MFCA show in May at the Trigos Hilton. Cool. Um, that's a nice that's a nice looking figure yeah. yeah i've admired that since i first saw Thanks, it um, so that's interesting I, I guess i guess the reason so many people in the i love the connoisseur uh end of the hobby is what you called it that was a good term <laughs> um but but you're right you know um i guess the reason they took to two-part epoxy putties is because when you finish that you can paint it it's and it's fast and it's you know when you're yeah. when you're young and you're a modeler and you're not, you haven't been around people doing it for a living. You listen to what other people are doing and that's what they're doing. I've done it. You know, we've all made epoxy sculpts and things. Mm -hmm. I had the advantage, luckily, of being around guys that did it and, and kind of understood it. And you do what suits you. In other words, if you're really good with A yeah. and B putty, you go that route. Mm -hmm. I watched these guys and bought all the tools and everything. Kind of Thomas said, and the thing I like about wax, though, is... I can make mistakes and fix them a lot easier than, you know, if I'm mm. using a hardening mm. material. Um, mm. This figure, the guy with the kid on his shoulder, I was showing it to Dennis one night and, at the meeting and basically said, the arm's too short here. You got to fix that. So mm. I took it home, cut the arm, fixed it, you know, because you're heating wax, laying it on, carving it off. So I can add and take off, add and take off. And, yeah. you know, when proportions don't quite look right, it's easier to fix, much easier. Mm. Um, and the cool thing about like this guy with the kid on his shoulder, he was originally, I, I saved all the bucks that I made for MTH. In other words, I had to do civilians. I had to do, this guy started out as a guy with a sweatshirt on jeans and his kid with a hoodie. And I mm. kept the figure, the original. And I said, one day I'm going to do something because I really like the pose. And I was just sitting there and I thought, oh, you know, medic with a kid on his shoulder, liberation, you know, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it just started to flow. So I, I'm, I'm. The nice thing about doing wax is you can keep them when you're done and change them into other things. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I kept them yeah. all, and I'm really glad I did because I've got a you know a whole stable of people up there that are civilian that will eventually change to something <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, That's great. That's I great. love wax. I've never worked with wax. Have you worked with wax, Barry? Um, it, no, I haven't. But uh, I know that's a, the traditional a, sculpting method for miniatures. Well, we, we were talking to Bill Merkline a couple of podcasts ago, uh, Jack, and, and he did a lot of those Hasbro second-gen G.I. Yeah. Joes once they got smaller. And, uh, but he was, he was working, what was well, his he preferred Well, he medium, went to uh, Epoxy Putty, but he also started with uh, wax sculpting. And he John Rosengrant used to do all of his figures, with, I believe, in wax, and I think he only recently, fairly recently, moved over to Epoxy Putty. Hmm. We did a lot of hmm. we did a lot of GI Joe's. We did a lot of action figures at the shop. Yeah. yeah, and one of the reasons we had to do it, and I think this is one of the reasons you do wax, because you make a casting, you send it to the company, and nine times out of ten they're going to send it back, and say change this. We yeah, don't they like want this. something. We did the when I first got to PD, we did they did sculpts of the characters from the movie Annie. Remember Annie? It was Carol mm. Burnett, and, mm -hmm. you know, hard knock like that. Yeah. They did all the figures. They did Carol Burnett, a couple kids, or whatever. And they sent it to Kenner, Hasbro. I don't know what company it was for. They sent it to them. What well, came back, the figure came, they came back with all these changes. All right, great. So they did another set. 
recast some sound. This went on like three, four times. They kept going and coming back with stupid changes. And at the end, my boss, John Nelson, who, God rest his soul, he said to me, he goes, Jack, go get those original ones we sent. So what do you mean? Just get the <laughs> get the first set. We sent the first set back and yeah. they approved them. <laughs> <laughs> true. That's yeah. a God's yeah. honest true story. But that's I've had editors like that. Yeah. yeah. So everybody. Yeah. Everybody in office has to approve their or has to justify their job. Everybody's got to make a change. Right. You know? <laughs> they have to put their thumbs on. Yeah, I think that's why like most of the model shops and stuff do wax is because you've got to be able to constantly change it and you don't want to have to do a new thing every time. Um, and it's fun. I mean, if you ever try it, if you ever want to, let me know. It's 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 really a blast. I like Play it. Play with that. What do you think um, when you look at the work on display at MFCA? Uh, you know, w- what sort of things would you advise uh, the hobbyist artists doing uh, these things today uh, to go back and look at? Like the wax thing is a really interesting one. Are there other things from the industry that you learned? You know, because you were clocking in, 9 to 5, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you're do it, doing it as a job. Um, what else do people in the manufacturing end know that uh, us hobbyists don't know, Jack? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, a lot of things are just simple things that, you don't think about it as you're doing it. Like when I, I was doing, we did Franklin Mint car models. Remember they'd mm-hmm. sell the Franklin mm-hmm. Mint car in the yeah. newspaper. Mm-hmm. Well, the shop would do, I guess it was a three up size car body and they'd send it overseas to Asia and they would take it down and they'd make all the parts and stuff and send them back. So you get a box of parts to assemble as the, as the photo piece. Mm-hmm. And if you saw that cord mm-hmm. I sent, that was the first photo yeah. piece I did that, Cord 310 or whatever it was. Um, but when we were doing those, we learned a lot about paints, paint finishes, um, like car models. Um, it doesn't really apply too much to military models, but I learned to put a lacquer coat and a clear coat on a car like a real one. Um, mm-hmm. And you learn mm-hmm. little things like wet sanding paint. You know, you can, a lot of people don't realize you can sand paint. In other words, mm-hmm. you can take, you know, mm-hmm really fine grit stuff and wet sand and get things nice and smooth you know oddball stuff like that um i don't know i mean we we were mostly toy industry and i think that's what killed me as far as figure painting i'm just getting back to it i mean i i painted for years and just kind of disappeared into the toy world um (laughs) <laughs> doing yeah doing, doing <laughs> little mermaid tchotchke and stuff like that you know and <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah I'm, I'm at the point and it's weird i end up usually doing world war ii stuff i think because of my dad who served in world war ii but i'm trying desperately to get away from military and and i'm almost looking at all civilian stuff and it's i don't know if i want to go to fantasy or not but you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i like civvy stuff now and I would like yeah, to well, see. That's something I'd like to see that at the shows. I'd like to see a little bit more. Yeah. you know, odd, off the wall. You know, and you guys know, and I, you know, Barry does the dioramas, yeah. and you know, you've mm-hmm. done them too, Jim. Things with civilians yeah. in forties. Yeah. Yeah. That's something Joe Burton, our buddy, is always talking about. You know, there are so many stories beyond uh, military. Mm-hmm to tell you know and he's done so much you know Gertrude Stein and Hermes Hemingway and uh uh you know uh, uh he he did a box with uh, Van Gogh uh, it, it's nice to see uh other subjects mm-hmm. it's yeah. a there's a whole lot of stuff untapped how do you think uh 3D printing is changing things uh Jack I mean rather than and having to learn drafting you're having to learn 
a computer skill. Yeah, I think one of the things, you know, and, and at AAA Hobbies, we get a lot of people come in and basically say, ah, 3D printing's going to put you out of business. Nobody's going to buy models. People will always buy them because 3D printing, you have to be good and the machine resolution has to be good in order for it to be a decent piece. Um, and cheap, cheap things you buy online for a thousand or two isn't a high res printer. I mean, it's going to, it's going to give you something nice, but you're still going to have to do a lot of cleanup. I have a, I have a Grogu back here that a guy gave me from the DVSM club. It was a 3d printout mm -hmm. and I swear I spent three weeks cleaning it up and puttying it. And I'm serious <laughs> to get a nice smooth finish yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, and I, although yeah. I have seen some really good stuff, um, but I don't think it's mainstream enough to affect Joe Average. I think that, you know, I know in the model railroad world, people like to, like, when you buy a locomotive, the locomotives were built for specific railroads. In other words, Pennsylvania Railroad called Baldwin and said, we need this, and they built it to their specs. Well, that same wheelbase would go to B&O, and they would spec out their own. So it had different feed water heaters on it and different cylinders here. You know what I mean? So it's almost the same, but there's a lot of subtle differences, and that's what 3D does in that world, and it's good. People, like, get files and send them to Shapeways, and they'll print them out, those an extra cab unit that looks different or, you know, specific parts for their railroad to change a, an engine to that road mm -hmm. name. Um, and that's useful. Um, but like you said, you have to have some computer ability, drawing ability to manipulate a CAD file and put it into a computer to spit out a part. You know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. It's not as simple yeah. as just pushing the button and watch it build. Um, right. That's, that's the issues we had when CAD cam started coming in. They were, they were, they wanted to RP parts on the big milling machines and it took the guys doing it. Oh man, it must've been two, three months to just get a handle on how to get the X and Y axis set up and, you know, the origin point and start cutting material. And, you know, every day cutters were going right down into the, the bed of the machine and snapping mm. off. And, <laughs> uh, it was crazy. Um, but there's a yeah. big learning curve. Um, I saw out, I was out, I'm not dropping names or anything, but we were out at Pixar mm. when we were at LGB and they were using powder. I mean, it was really odd. It was like powder that was layered but it was layered in color. Mm -hmm. So they were doing they were doing mm -hmm. what's called a zeotrope, which is a big 3D it's it's like a big spinning thing with sculpts on it. Yeah. You know, so you had a, a whole circle of woody doing something and when they turned the black light mm -hmm. on and spun it at 60 miles an hour, the figures moved. I mean, it was mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. animation, but they were printing out figures in full color. In other words, when they would print it out, it was done. They just had to spray it with some kind of sealer to to make it hard. Um, mm -hmm. but when we walked into that room, it was like a dust storm and people are running around without masks on. I, I said, I don't know if I want to be, Yikes. Oh, I want to be in here or not, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. but that was the most amazing 3d printing I had ever seen because there was no striation, yeah. no lines mm -hmm. and it was printed in color. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. figure was yeah. done when it printed, but my God, that room, <laughs> OSHA would have, yeah, OSHA well, shut them down three the technology. Weeks ago. Yeah. Hasn't been around long enough to know if it's, are, are they breathing in what would have been asbestos before we knew asbestos was bad for us? But you, you know, know what? I want to know, I, I haven't been around it enough lately to know where they, where they stand with it. But the figure I sent you the picture of, a Belushi from 1941, that was, yeah. that was a, a computer generated figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it was. Dolman, yeah. Dolman in Spain. And yeah. that figure, 
oh my god, the detail was just incredible on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was yeah. blown away by it. All the jacket lettering, everything mm-hmm. was there. Um, and it's yeah. computer generated. I don't know how he's doing it, but maybe it's like the extrusion where it dips in and just lifts it out, you know, and yeah. builds it as it comes out of the fluid. I've seen that. I yeah. I bought a set of uh, figures that are a crew for a Lancaster bomber in one thirty second, and uh, they're three D printed, three D designed, and you know they're available for the one thirty second, the one forty eighth, the one seventy second, you know, and they're the same set of figures. Uh, so uh, you know you do it right once, and they're they're beautifully. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, you know, I'd like to hook up with someone that does it at that level yeah. and yeah. see exactly what they're doing. Because it, it must take a huge investiture in, you know, a decent machine and everything to, to get that fine yeah. quality. It's, it's, su- it's surprising what you can get out of a, a, a sub $1,000 resin printer. Um, I mean, it's still not, like you say, I don't think it's going to take over for, you know, plastic modeling. But uh, there's been a massive jump in the quality of sculpts, uh, digital sculpts, just over the last couple of years. A few years ago... The sculpts just looked weird, and they looked digital, and now right. they're just right. incredible. A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. That guy Dolman, I guess yeah. he's in Spain. Mm-hmm. Oh, the stuff he puts out. I mean, I, I don't like every theme or every subject he does, yeah. but when when I got that one figure, I was just blown away by it. Yeah, yeah, um, the likenesses are yeah. excellent. Yeah, 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 I don't know how they do it. But yeah, yeah, I guess it's the well, next it's, phase, but yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, but, but you know, it depends. Do you enjoy being in front of the computer, or do you like uh, slicing your thumb up with I'm, the exacto? I'm an old guy. That's what I'm, that's what I do. I'm an, I'm an old guy. I like doing it the way I've always done it. You know, I'm yeah. sounding more like my dad. Yeah. I like working with my hands, and you know, I think that 3D is good, but I think that when it comes from your imagination, your hands, your talent, it means mm-hmm. more to you. Um, that's well. That's what I love about your your uh, civilian figures, Jack. They have a, a look in the same way that you can look at any Shep Payne uh, figure. He always called them his uh, uh, cast of characters, his uh, ensemble. Right? There, there's a look to a Shep Payne face. There's a look to a Jack Lynch face. I'm trying to get better. I'm always trying. And this one with the kid on his shoulders, that to me, when I look at that compared to the old stuff, is a leap ahead of those. So I know I'm going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he looks physically good. He, you know, looks like he'll paint up. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the hardest part when you do these things because you never see them painted until the end. Like you, you do all the yeah. sculpting, you do the molds, you carve it out, you clean it up. And it would be really nice to have seen certain things before you did, you know, the final paint. Because I always did that when I right. paint them. I, yeah. I was always disappointed. But this one I just did. I can see more creases. I I, I was more defined about everything. You, you know, I'm hoping it paints up nice because you never know until you, yeah. you put the primer on yeah. and start painting. You don't know what it's going to look like. No, it's true. It's true. You can't it in the recording world. You know, they say we'll fix it in the mix, yeah. but there's really no such thing for a figure. But yeah. <laughs> it's not going to get better when you put paint on a bad sculpt. You know, going back to the waxes when you when you do a hard casting it's nice because it gives you a chance to go back and refine it like by putting Mm -hmm. edging in you know engraving things you know you've got a lot more you know chance to see it prime and go okay now let me do some fixes on it because it's plastic i mean it all reacts the same with the sandpaper and files Uh, so uh jim told me about a display uh just actually just today i I hadn't heard of this before at the air and space museum could you Uh, tell us about that Sure, sure. 
As long as people don't mind me bringing up champagne, I'll be fine. Oh. Uh, we've done that enough. <laughs> we don't. We don't care. I want to. I like it. I'd say it all day long. He's, you know. <laughs> Jack sent me an email the other day when I was complaining recently about that guy saying, <laughs> "Knock it off." I'm like, you know. Screw it. Do what you want to do. It's our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't stop talking about Babe Ruth just because he's old. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Talking about baseball, you bring exactly. up the legends. Yeah. Um, so um, what happened was I was on Facebook. I saw a group for Monogram Models, and you guys have talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I stopped and friended it or, or liked it, joined mm-hmm. it. It's a group. So I joined it because guy named Bob Johnson that worked at Monogram was posting a lot of pictures from their model shop. Mm. In other words, you know, mm. I, I don't care about old kits. You know, these guys that post their Sky Raider from 1960, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but this guy's posting actual photos of the patterns that they were doing. I think he did mm. a whole slew of pictures of the big boy, the, the locomotive that they did. Remember those? It was like the biggest yeah. steam mm. locomotive in the world. They did it. Huge. Yeah, they did it yeah. in 32 scale, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. But he's posting all these pictures of the shop and the people in it. And, and I was just, you know, absorbed into it because I did that. Um, I, I find that fascinating to see all the wood patterns and all that. And the shop guys. I like looking at the shops, see what kind of machines they're using yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So I joined this. And like a week or two later, Bob Johnson posts a picture of three or four of the Champagne aircraft dioramas from Monogram. Mm. And he says... I'm looking for a good home for these. And I said, hmm, really? <laughs> you know, my assumption was he had them or something, and he you know, wanted to put mm. them somewhere. And all these people are putting posts on there like, oh, give it to the you know, yada yada museum in Wilcohochee, you know, Oregon, whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking no, 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 no. You can't do that. They'll disappear. So yeah. I had about a year ago, it's like convenient to how like synchronicity raises its ugly head. We went down to the Smithsonian to the Uvarhazi Museum. Me and a friend of mine. A friend of mine, this was after Bachman, but my friend still worked for Bachman, and they were doing a show right next to the Uvarhazi, you know, in Dulles Airport area. Mm-hmm. Train show. So I said, okay, Ray, let's meet the next day, and we'll go to the Uvarhazi, because I know I liked airplanes, and I do. Uvarhazi is the big Smithsonian annex at the Dulles Airport that has every cool airplane in the world in it. Um, so we go there, and... Another guy that we worked with at Bachman went to school with the guy that's like one of the head administrators at the Uvarhazi. So it's like Larry goes, oh, let me hook you up with Mike. Whatever. So he hooks us up with this guy. We go down, we meet him, and he tours us around the museum. And it was a lot of fun because, you know, I knew a lot about the airplanes, and he was enjoying that. So we talked and talked. Mm. So I sent him um, some rocketry stuff for his son. He said they were getting into model rockets. So I went home and I sent him that stuff. So that's a year ago. So I wrote to Bob Johnson on the monogram page, and I said, I think I know where you should put these. And, you know, I have a contact down at the Udvarhazi. Let's talk to the Smithsonian. I said, they, they shouldn't go anywhere but the Smithsonian Institute. That's where they belong. Okay. So I called the one guy down there who I knew. And he said, oh, let me hook you up with these other two guys that are in charge of that. It's okay. So he hooks me up with a guy named Chris Moore. And it was really funny because I sent him pictures of some of the dioramas that Bob said he had. And I got an email back within 10, 15 minutes saying, I know what these are. Hmm. These are so cool. Oh, we got to have these in the museum. I said, okay. He said, we calm down. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> so I went back to Bob. And Bob basically says, oh, yeah, um, 
Ed Sexton, who worked at Ravel, has the B24, the B17, and the P61. Hmm. He said we can have the B24 and the P61. He's not sure if he wants to get rid of the B17. <laughs> All right, fine. That's that's a start. That's three of them. So at the, in the meantime, I started talking to Jim about it, and Joe Burton has the C47 and the B25 and said he would be willing to partake if we get them in here. So hmm. that's five of them. And then, like two days later, I'm at work, and there's a guy being toured around by my boss and his son around the warehouse at AAA, mm -hmm. or uh, Stevens International. And I saw a little Ravel logo on his shirt, so I thought, oh, I think I know who this is. So I looked at it. It was Lou Aguilera, who worked at Horizon and Monogram with these guys, and he's running Ravel US now. It's Carrera Ravel mm -hmm. in Georgia. So we just happened to shake hands. I said, Lou, I said, and Bob had mentioned to me he thought he had one of them. I said, do you have one of the Shepang dioramas? Oh, yeah, I got the B26, you know, the one in the assembly line. <laughs> so really, and, and... That one's killer. Yeah, yeah, so we start talking, and he goes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the warehouse in Georgia, packed up somewhere. I'll have to find it. Oh, no, but he wow. said, oh. but he said, you can, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing some repair work. It. But he said, you can use it. So hmm. it... That's about, and we think we have the B29 lined up because that was mm. at Horizon as well, but that one supposedly needs to be cleaned up. Long story short, we had a meeting with the Smithsonian. We went down and met with this guy, Chris Moore, at, and he's he's cool. He's in charge of um, weapons in the restoration facility. In other words, you know, 50 caliber machine guns and German machine guns, mm. and he went in an airplane. That's his gig. Um, but he's he was all excited. He wants to do it. He said within two years... He said, there's a two-year window. They're restoring. They're doing restoration on the, the mall, the big museum. He said, so we've got time to do this right. I said, that's good. So Bob's the wild card in the whole thing because he, Bob Johnson, he comes and goes. He's retired. He sails a lot. And mm -hmm. he's he wants to do it properly and make sure that the dioramas that don't belong to someone or that do are legally like contracted or gifted or whatever. Mm -hmm. In other words, he wants everything done paper-wise and so forth. And I said, that's fine. Um, so he's he's kind of my hinge pin right now. I'm working with him, mm -hmm. but we've got plenty of time. So we're, we're looking at hopefully doing... At first, the guy at the Smithsonian said, why don't we just put one near an airplane and one over at that side of the museum near, near an airplane, mm -hmm. this one near that airplane? I said, no, no, no. I said, you got to keep them all together. Mm -hmm. Tell the story. Yeah, yeah that's why I appreciated yeah. you, Jim. Let me use info out of the book. Um, sure. You know, so that's where we're at right now. Is he wants me to write him up, and I have worked on it a basic storyline for the mm. display. Um, Bob's got to get the dioramas basically um, in in order. You know, yeah. Joe's got his. Yeah. This guy Sexton, <laughs> Bob met with his wife, had breakfast with this guy's wife who's holding on to the B seventeen, and the wife basically said, "Don't worry, you'll get that one too." So <laughs> we're not we're not too good, worried. Good, you good, know, good. If you good. get the wife on your side, you're okay. So we're. I'm still stuck on the assembly line being in a box in a I, warehouse. You know, I'm kind of scared about. My it. God, Who knows? you know. It got moved. Well, I'm sure. No, you know, I, I, Shep built those things despite sometimes only having a week or two. He built them really well because I've been into several of his boxes that are on display at the Wyeth Museum, and uh, it didn't take that much cleanup. I'm not worried about it being damaged. I'm worried about like, oh yeah, I own a Picasso. Oh. It's in my closet. Well, Luke, that's that, that's what's yeah. killing me. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I, I got a Picasso. I'm gonna hang it up. Yeah, it's in, it's <laughs> in a humid warehouse in Georgia. Let's, let's get 
get it out of there. I mean, that's yeah. the whole impetus behind yeah. this whole thing. I don't have a horse in the race. I just want to see them go somewhere where everybody can go and see them. Yeah. You know, because now they're sitting in some yeah. guy's basement, yeah. and if he passes away, the wife's going to throw him on the yard sale. You know what I mean? They, mm, they have yeah. to be gathered yeah. up and put in a place of, you know, where they belong. Mm-hmm. Aaron's face. No. No doubt about no, it. There couldn't be a better But the place. best, the that, best that, part of it was when I sent the emails to them, I got an immediate answer from both these two guys yeah. there saying, we know what those are. We really like them. We'd love to mm. do something with it. So wow, cool. Smithsonian wants it. It's just I got to get Bob, cattle prod on Bob. Yeah. Get him moving. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Joe has powers. Joe has magical powers about getting people to give stuff to museums. <laughs> yeah. You can always use him as your nuclear weapon. That's good. That's good to know. But yeah, I'll keep you guys abreast of it. What's going on? You know what it's Joe's exciting. wife does, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I think he's. I think he actually, you know, has uh, uh, gleaned everything. Uh, you know, if you can get the Louvre to give you a piece of art yeah. to send to Chicago, you can. This shouldn't be a problem. I bet we can get those <laughs> aircraft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Jack. We hope to see you in person. Uh, uh, we now we know we better make our room reservation, Barry. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's so inspiring to see the MFCA revitalized as a club and not just a couple of guys frantically doing yeah. a show at the last yeah night. i'd say we've got 10 solid members and then we get another 10 coming to the meeting so we'll glean yeah. some new new blood and keep it going it's great it's getting better a lot better they did the virtual did the virtual show last year which i i dragged my feet on it because i i can't imagine judging figures by pictures um, but it, it was nice in the respect that it got us all together and everybody was communicating and yeah. talking to the, the folks overseas. We talked about doing a virtual component to this year's show, but it's just too close. So I think next year yeah. we're going to yeah. probably do you know a virtual element attached to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice in some degree, but I you know I just don't understand getting an an award for a virtual show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wonderful to share your work online. We all do it all the time uh, on Facebook and as friends. But, uh, you know, it's it's a three-dimensional hobby, for exactly. goodness sakes. you gotta got to pick it up and hold it and look at it from every right. angle. I didn't enter anything. <laughs> I wanted this. Yeah. I, my output is so small these days that I wanted to save it for this yeah. one coming up. I wanted to you know, be able to show it to people and talk to them and see what kind Well, of I see a mock-up of a box behind you that's got me very uh-huh. excited there. Yeah, Jack, I'll, is that the beginning of a box diorama? That one's actually really far along. Um, all the components mm-hmm. are in it. All the figures are mm-hmm. lined up. Everything looks good. Dennis and I have gone over it a few times, and he gave me some hints and tips. So it's at the mm-hmm. point where I've got two figures that are wire armatures sitting mm-hmm. in Okay. thing. All right. One, two. Two figures are done, two are armatures, and everything else is kind of there. Mm-hmm. So it won't be ready for May, but maybe Chicago. Okay. We're cool. spreading the gospel of boxes. I'm trying. I, you know, these were, these were actually, <laughs> the ones in the box were figures that I did for MTH that became new things. You know, they were mm-hmm. wax pieces that I didn't want to throw them away, so I repurposed yeah. them. Yeah. Cool. Keep in mind that whatever Dennis says, listen to about half of it. Yeah. But he, you know, <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, love I've him. known Dennis. I do. I've known him since we both, we both started going to MFCA show the, almost the same year, like 1970 or 71. Mm. And we, we that's where we got to know each other. And Dennis was the you know the outgoing social butterfly yeah. type, and I was the opposite. I was you know in the back wall just checking things out. And yeah. I guess that's why he went so much further with MFCA. <laughs> <laughs> He's the social director. Well, M- for years MFCA was just like uh, you know anybody who who would do the work 
yeah. got put to work. You know, uh, yeah. it was it was looking a little sad there for a couple of years. There was like five guys doing everything. Yeah, it's kind of scary. That's why we're recruiting now. So yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. But so so that you guys can just sit back and be advisors. Nah. <laughs> it's fun being. You know what? I'm 62. I got three years left, and I'm sort of weaning down now, which is nice. Doing social media and work, it makes it easy to stay home a couple of days a mm-hmm. week. Yeah. And I yeah. enjoy going and doing it now, and I'm, I'm doing so much more for myself, you know, figure-wise yeah. and everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I've never broken silver in MFC. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to get past mm-hmm. that level. It's the only show. It's I, I, the only one I care about. I, I, I bounce back and forth. Bronze, silver, gold, back to bronze. <laughs> Barry's, Barry's Mr. Gold. You know, the awards don't really matter. Uh, honestly, I do it for fun, no, no, and, and it's no. great nowadays because it, it, yeah. it's taken on a whole different dimension when you're just kind of casual and doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But of all the shows I've gone to, and I've, you know, I've heard you guys talk about IPMS. I've been very involved in IPMS over the years. And I mm-hmm. used to always say, if you want to do really well at IPMS, take, take a good painted figure. Because <laughs> nobody yeah, ever shows figures true. at that show, and you could come away with all. They don't kinds know what to do with it, yeah. But uh, I, you know, the MFA is the only show that I think when you go and you do well, it speaks volumes about your work. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not being compared yeah. to other people. Yeah. They're yeah. they're basically giving you an honest opinion. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yep. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time, it's, especially after working nah, a little bit. My absolute pleasure. It's great talking to you. It's nice to finally meet you, Barry, like face to face. Yeah. You know, I have all these Facebook friends that I've never met. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we were at MFCA 10 years running, you know, and uh, I just we just never linked no, up there, Jack. No. Me and Barry were always there. You know, Barry likes to sit in the back of the uh, what he calls the hostility suite <laughs> and, and see people get in fights with each other. <laughs> Now, this year we're going to have to sit down and have a drink. We'll bring you yeah. cast parts. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it won't be hostile if the three of us are there. <laughs> could be happy. Yeah. All Thanks, right, Jack. Have a good evening. Well, you know, I think it was great talking to Jack, uh, Barry. He is, uh, would you call him a certified small subject great guy? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. He, yeah, he is a great guy. Um, really interesting discussion. I uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but out of college, I almost took a job as a model maker, like he did. No, you never told me that. And uh, I had a choice, basically, of going to work for a, a place that did maps. I had um, I got a degree in geography with an emphasis in digital cartography, and um, I had a choice of going to work for a map maker that was doing manual engraving of maps, or wow. a, a model maker. And I almost chose the model maker, but. Um, I went the other direction. What was the model maker doing? They did models of transport, uh, of trains and that, like uh, public mm. transportation type systems. I, I, wow. I, yeah. It was interesting. It m- might have been cool, but I don't think I would have had the same, uh, you know. Well, for one thing, I wouldn't have met Joan because I met Joan where I got the map making job. So. <laughs> well, Joan is, yeah, Joan is the best thing that ever happened to you. No yeah, two yeah. ways about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now, now, so that must have been the very earliest days of digital cartography. Um, kinda. It was, it was 1993, so a lot of places were adopting GIS, Geographic Information Systems, where you're doing map making on computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was definitely in the transition stage where the manual stuff that I got involved with for about six years um, was slowly being taken over by the, the digital stuff. Yeah, well, Al Gore had barely invented the internet, internet yeah. in mm-hmm. 1993. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it was like 
did we even have AOL dial-up? Uh, the first I remember the internet was around 91, and I remember mm. one of my professors was watching, looking at uh, weather images <clears throat> and mm. getting emails from people. And the, the idea that he was getting mail on his computer from colleagues was just blowing our minds. But yeah. That's pretty, pretty one. Yeah. You know, I read a depressing post. Uh, as much as we talk, you don't, sometimes you don't share as clearly as you do on Facebook. And you said the other day, after so many years in digital cartography, now mm -hmm. that your job has shifted, yeah. you feel as if part of your identity is gone. Yeah, I didn't expect that, but I, I actually moved away from GIS in November, and I'm uh, just basically doing IT, you know, general application development and, uh, you know, software design, I guess you would call it. Um, but not all that general. It's not like you're the help desk that uh, your department calls up. No, I mean, our, our agency does very, <laughs> we do very specific things, and I think they're, they're kind of uh, leveraging, I hate the word leveraging, but I'm going to use it because I don't know what else to say, um, ledger, leveraging my uh, experience at the agency to help them kind of figure out where they're going to go with our, you know, what they call the business system, where we keep track of everything. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to be, I mean, I was a geographer for 30 years. Yeah. And now I'm not <clears throat> all of a sudden. And it's like, it's hard to not think of myself as being a geographer. So, well, yeah. I was a journalist for 30 years. I didn't feel like I left journalism. Uh, I felt like journalism left me. <laughs> you yeah. know, after 15 years at the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, it, it wasn't the same paper anymore. Yeah. Well, I think I maybe understand uh, where you're coming from a little bit more now. Yeah. But. Oh, I know. Well, and here's a little-known uh, fact about uh, Barry Biediger, listeners. Um, you know, when I'm in his presence and we are uh, driving somewhere, if I dare to use the uh, uh, GPS or the, uh, you know, iPhone uh, Google Maps, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you take my head off. You do not like. I don't, because I think one of the, one of the most important skills as a human that we have is wayfinding. Mm. Fig figuring out where we're going and 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 it it actually goes it's a 180 degree opposite thing to my view of maps and understanding the world to have somebody just turn by turn tell you where to go it's just it, it doesn't sit well with me plus there are technical issues where what they're telling you might not actually be the best thing and well, thinking. yeah, I have discovered that, uh, no two ways about it. But listen, Joe Burton and I are road tripping from Chicago to mm -hmm. MFCA uh, outside of Philly. And uh, we've got two stops to make uh, to uh, repair some box dioramas, including Shep's victory again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I have no confidence whatsoever that we would get to Philadelphia and then Virginia and North Carolina or maybe those last two are reversed, uh, without, because uh, Joe and I can get lost uh, going to the suburbs in Chicago, <laughs> five miles away. Well, the suburbs of Chicago are kind of difficult to figure out, for me anyway. Well, suburbs in general, you know, there's no landmarks. Everything looks the same, strip mall after strip mall. Well, you talking about the one with the Fridays or, or the one with the, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> the Outback? <laughs> it's, it's easier here, though, because all the, the street, where most of the streets are straight, and they're numbered, yeah. so you know what direction you're going. You know, your yeah. approximate coordinates. The problem is if they throw a curved street out of Utah, we're lost. Like if it turns well, or curves, yeah, I don't know where I am. You know, Chicago is a grid, but then there are these diagonals, which are the secret to uh, uh, getting uh, north or south quickly. Yeah. 
right? Which are right. really good. But you know, I mean, I've used the GPS in Philadelphia or Boston, and it's great to see it have a nervous breakdown because you know these old colonial uh, horse paths that oh, turned yeah. into a city. Yeah, uh, right. And just the, the density uh, just freaks it out. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know that I would much rather have a static map. A, a paper map even to uh, navigate than have somebody tell me this stuff and trust that their data is correct. <laughs> well, this is Jim and Barry's road trips. You know, Jim's driving because Barry doesn't like to drive. And, uh, you know, Barry's in the in the passenger seat with the map. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you're finding the exit about uh, 25 feet uh, since I drove past it. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> that's not... That's not true. I've, that I think has happened. I, I, that has happened. <laughs> the the big incident I remember when you did that, we didn't have a map, and I had no idea where we were. Oh, all right. And that was in Chicago or Philadelphia. Okay. I don't remember, but I, I think I'm an okay navigator. Am I not? You're you're a fine navigator. Yeah. I saved us some time in Portland when I I told you to do something different from what the GPS was telling you to do. Do you remember that? Uh, no. Because it was rush hour. Oh. And I said, I think this road looks like it would be a better way because it's not a main thoroughfare. Okay. Well, people. thank you for your service. <laughs> 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 Look, let's, uh, you know, so so we wanted to uh, conclude this episode uh, that, that we, you know, we, it was fun putting a spotlight on Jack, but we yeah. had the idea of talking to him uh, because we wanted to uh, preview the MFCA show coming up. And, um, and that, uh, you know... I'll be driving from Chicago. You're going to fly um, mm-hmm. so far, unless this latest wave gets worse right. uh, from from Salt Lake City. Um, so uh, you know, I have a small box. It, it isn't all that big. I'm going to put it in the back of uh, the, the car. Uh, Joe and I are renting. Yeah. Um, how are you going to get whatever you're going to show uh, to the MFCA? So I have a carry case, uh, a carrying box that I bought from John Jeffries at one of the shows. Yes. And he, yes. he makes these specifically, uh, mostly for figure modelers. So uh, it will hold what, maybe six figures? A few or more. Well, well, you know, John builds them in, in different sizes and he well, will customize them too for you. That's true. He will build whatever size you want. But of course you do have the restriction of, uh, you want to carry it under the seat, the airline seat. Yeah. Um, when you're flying. So you want to have, uh, you want to make sure that it's not a size that you can't fit under the seat, which the one I have, I've never had a problem getting it under a, a seat. Um, but it, it will hold, it's, a, I think he used to call it, or when he first started doing them, I think he called it the standard size one, and then he made a bigger mm-hmm. one. But anyway, this one will carry um, about, uh, I could easily carry seven uh, single 54 millimeter figures in it probably. Yeah, and the, and yeah. And then a few vignettes on a, on bases. And then when I'm doing boxes, I will do one of two things. Uh, uh, the last couple times, I actually had a, a slightly different size box than I usually make. And I bought a, just a soft camera bag mm. that, would, um, yeah, that's right. that I could fit it in. But this one that I'm doing now, I'll be able to turn the box on its side and fit it in the, in the uh, carrying case. Uh, so. Well, so so John is a woodworker and a great modeler too, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, from Long Island. He's part of the Long Island uh, Club, and um, we'll have his email. He's old school AOL <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on on the blog. Um, 
John will build any size base for you that you are yeah. desirous of. Yeah. When he comes to the show, he and his lovely wife uh, have uh, 600, you know, beautiful bases. And, and uh, oh, man, yeah. and every yeah. kind of wood and every oh, color yeah. of wood and every size. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and if nothing on the tables uh, is what you need, he will happily uh, uh, build one for you and ship it to yeah. you. His prices yeah. are wonderful. The figure carrier uh, is great because, as John said to me, uh, you know, part of your challenge uh, getting on an airplane with any of these figures or dioramas um, is, uh, you know, uh, if it's kind of a jury-rigged box you've got of your own, they're going to be suspicious. What is all that duct yep. tape and string, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas walking on with a beautiful wooden carrier with, you know, he has luggage handles on them, he has a clasp on them, uh, and ingeniously, uh, there's a slide-out tray so you can use museum putty, which is my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, or blue tack, you know, mm-hmm. to secure your figures to right. this tray and slide them out without sticking your big fat fa- hand like I would in the box, right? They'll come out and not be damaged. Yeah. Um, and the TSA personnel will be impressed by the look of this thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, if they ask you what's inside, you are easily uh, able to access it and show them. Yeah. Right. Um, so I had him build two for me. I had one uh, that was kind of the regular size and then one that was a little larger to accommodate the inner scene, the inner tray of mm-hmm. a box that I brought to Europe. So you may say, Jim, how did you then uh, build a box? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I had brought the frame and I pre-cut, and I had my existing wooden uh, box at home, and I had the frame. And uh, so the frame was nice and flat. I had a, had a, a Tumi uh, suitcase, you know, one of those hard shell that have like a false yeah. bottom, you know, yeah. you can put stuff under it. Uh, uh, what, and is, uh, what suitcase, what'd you call Tumi, it? Tumi, T-U-M-I. Oh, T-U-M-I, okay. Yeah, it's, it's what like, you know, movie stars uh, use to bring to the south of France. Ah, okay. They're pricey. They're really pricey. They got a gotcha. microchip in them in case yeah. it gets goes missing, uh, and they're wow. built to withstand uh, the apocalypse. Wow, it's too good. So for I had me. invested in one of those. Uh, my wife and I both got one to, when we went on one of our European excursions yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. Remember the orange thing? It's, it's I do. big, it's orange. I do. The other yep. one's neon green, mm-hmm. you know, so they come off the belt. They don't look like everybody else's. Right. Anyway, right. it had a false bottom. So I uh, I put the frame in there, wrapped it up in, in some uh, foam wrap, and uh, I pre-cut foam core board, mm-hmm. and I built my box right there in Europe. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah that's right. And it was a temporary, you know, now, now you say, well, you know, it was foam core, right? Your black foam core, right? But, you know, as Shep always said, uh, if they're looking at your box, it means you didn't do a good enough job on what's inside it. That's very true. I do not, as you know, I do not like to spend a lot of time on the exterior of the bo- my boxes I make. They're always, well, your boxes are beautiful. Well, they're just black, though. I don't, I don't, and I have nothing, nothing against people who do want to put more, um, you know, uh, elaborate boxes together, but I just like it to be as plain as possible. I don't want the box to be any sort of attention grabber. If people aren't going to look at the box because it's just a plain black box, then oh yeah, well. well, you don't you don't want them to look at it. <laughs> yeah, right. I've gone with some more elaborate frames that a buddy of mine has done for me. Like in yeah. the Jules Verne boxes, I did. I had uh, uh, these kind of steampunk frames. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but lately, I, you know, I bought the stuff at Blick to make my own frames and mats, and I'm kind mm-hmm. of enjoying that. Cool. Yeah, you got a mat cutter. 
I have a Mac cutter now. Yeah. 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 Cool. And that's great. But, um, you know, another thing I did was uh, one of the smaller boxes, the Napoleon uh, overlooking the flames yeah. of Moscow yeah. uh, that Wh- you which, have. Yeah, which uh, actually brings up another thing we should talk about as far as uh, sending them through the mail. But go ahead. <laughs> well, and, you know, in that one, it was a small enough box. It was a Barry Bediger size box, basically, mm-hmm. that I just built a, farm, a foam core box around it, and I tied it up like you would a cake or a yeah. hat box, yeah. and I brought that on. And it was easy enough to just untie it if they wanted to look inside, but nobody did. Yeah. And so in, in both... Uh, traveling with boxes, I haven't gone for under the seat, but definitely I've gone for the overhead. And, you know, if you know uh, what flight you've booked uh, and what plane, and often the airline tells you that, um, you can, you know, Google around online and get the exact measurements of uh, mm-hmm. under seat and yep. overhead so that's you know right. what, what trouble you're getting into. Yeah, that's very true. And, and one thing that can happen, too, is if you get a uh, one of the ex- exit door... Uh, seats, you might have mm. that bulkhead in front of you, and yeah. and you don't have a, you know, something to think about because you won't have a place under your seat to or under the seat to put the box. You will have to put it in the overhead. No, that's right? true. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're a person of some charm, uh, like my wife Carmel or your wife Joan, mm-hmm. unlike the two of us, mm-hmm. you can occasionally appeal to the uh, flight crew yep. to put it in the uh, the, the first-class yep. uh, closet up front yep. uh, on the floor. Yeah, yeah, I know people who travel with guitars that just trust that they can do that and will th- yeah. take their guitar. And I don't, maybe they don't allow them anymore, but I, I've known some guys that will just always take it on, and they said this stewardess will always have a place for them to put See, it. See, I'm hesitant about that because you, just, you can't... You can't count on that because yeah yeah, you know such are the worldwide distinctions of class Mm -hmm. uh in the marxist sense that uh you know first class man you ain't it yep exactly (laughs) i've only flown first class once and that was because somebody wanted to trade a seat with me because they wanted to sit by their family wow so yeah that's like winning the lottery yeah yep i definitely got the looks when i came and sat down schlub like me up there with yeah. them no well see see you know but the kind of people who normally fly first class don't care about looks it's it's you you and i would be like yeah there have been like like times i've had to go um, i was getting an award or i was going to some dinner that i you know and it's just like i just always feel like you know every eyes on me like who let that guy in yeah and that's actually that is something i've learned through my life that that's not really how it works because usually no. the people who hang out in those uh, in those kind of situations aren't really all that concerned about the rules. Yeah. Does that sound stupid or what? I I remember there was a there was a function that Joan and I went to for sound opinions, mm. where which you were nice enough to to I mean we you know we bought a ticket to it but you were nice enough to dinner with John Cale. Yeah. It was yeah we got to meet John Cale which is was really cool. He but just we, turned eighty. Yeah, well, we sat next to this couple, this young couple, and uh, the 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 girl was really nervous. She was a musician and just mm. idolized John Cale, but she she said to me, "I'm so nervous because I don't know what to do and how, like, what fork do I use first and do this." And I said, <laughs> "You know what? The what I've learned long ago is nobody else does either." So don't worry about it. <laughs> Certainly, uh, you know, Greg, my Sound Opinions co-host, and I don't 
don't know that stuff and don't care. Yeah, that's right. So you know, but, it's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. well. Well, that so was what, a that was a long. Uh, sorry, I took us off into nothing. No, there, that's but. fine. People say they like this, and if they don't, it's free, <laughs> so they can hang up now. <laughs> and fast forward too. There you go. So what what was the other story you were going to tell about traveling with figures? Uh, you mean about sending that box that, uh, or or was there another story? Sending. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, I, I the only advice we've basically given is you know, uh, buy a carrier from John Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there's quite a actually quite a bit of advice I had if you if you want to hear about it. I think it's yes, useful. please. Um, one thing I've well, the first thing you mentioned the. Uh, you've taken those taped together boxes and they don't attract attention and it's just, you know, they look like a you know, grocery bag or whatever. Well, they look like a cake, you know, like well, a when cake, you go to a like you bought, Right, right, right. Um, and when I first started traveling to figure shows and, and there were some discussions about this online, how best to do, uh, to travel with figures, some of the people would say, don't attract attention to what you have because, mm. and I, okay, that made sense. Um, and I used to, at first I used a toolbox, just a plastic toolbox from, a, mm-hmm. you know, from wherever, uh, or tackle box. And I would attach the, the bases to the bottom of that. And, uh, I quickly found out that maybe making it innocuous is not the best thing because they got thrown around by the people like it was a toolbox or a tackle box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually I think you want them to notice what it is. You want to attract their attention. And I, I put fragile stickers on it. Yes, um, yes. It, it's no problem to open it up and show them what it is if they're worried about it. And, mm-hmm. and usually the, the, the flight attendants will, and, and the, you know, when you get on the plane, will notice and ask me what it is. I don't have a yeah. problem with that. I'll tell them what it is. Sure. It's better than having people think it's something that is just an everyday item they can throw around. Well, you're getting on on a plane with a toolbox uh, these days. You know, toolboxes have box cutters. Box cutters hijack airplanes. Well, but they know who they know what's been through security, right? Right. Uh, and, right. and it's and as you're going through security, I had a couple of the the people, and it's kind of reasonable when you think about it. They just kind of tossed it around like it was a toolbox. And yeah, yeah, so that's true. D- d- don't uh, I? I recommend you get something that looks nice. And doesn't look like something that is just not worth much. And a couple of fragile stickers. Yeah. And um, as we said, uh, I guess it was the Dennis Levy episode, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, my innovation that got uh, the two of you uh, out of being arrested and shot yeah. in Switzerland, <laughs> not necessarily in that order. Um, you know, I had a flyer for the show. Yeah. Right. Because we're crossing several uh, international borders. Right. But even if you're just getting on a plane from somewhere to go to a show in the U.S., you know, print out the flyer for the show, put it in, you know, or have it in your pocket or put it in the uh, case. Because, you know, look, a TSA or a uh, a flight uh, crew person, you know, they don't know about this hobby. Ninety nine point nine percent of the world doesn't know about this hobby. Right. Right. And so uh, and they don't want you to stand there for 10 minutes and explain it to them. Uh, Well, I've actually had the situation where they did. And and 
well, wanted right, me to right, tell right. him all about this stuff and were interested, and I'm like, I, I need to catch a flight, you know? But, well, yeah, all right. So you, occasionally you get a, a, you know, a chatty person who wants to know, yeah, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, if you have the flyer, you know, you can show them uh, very quickly and easily. I am taking these fine art miniatures to a show. Yeah, usually in the U.S., it's been An my exhibition. experience that they don't really care, most of the TSA agents. Um, sometimes yeah. they're interested, and they'll say, wow, that's yeah. cool, or, or something. And right. uh, I would say 90% of the time, though, they're just like, yeah, whatever, okay. I, you let me check it, I don't care. Yeah. Um, the uh, That was very useful that time. Um, yeah. The, like I said, the, the TSA agents inside the U.S. have not really, I don't know, I haven't been in a situation where it would have helped much. Not to say you shouldn't do it, because it might be useful to show what things are, but um, when I flew to Paris for the Stresa show in 2014, I hadn't learned that from you, <laughs> and I should have, because they were very uh, suspicious of what I had in my carry case, because I had a little mm. box diorama, and it has wires, Yeah, yeah and yeah, it yeah. looks... A box diorama looks very suspicious on the scopes, I, I, I think. Um, wires look suspicious. Period. Well, yeah. the wires and uh, yeah, it's it's the wires and uh, I one thing another thing uh, to think about is if you have lighting and wires, don't carry the battery in with that. Yeah, have the battery separate. Yeah. Um. But in Paris, they had no idea what this was, and I'll tell you what, I can't believe how well my two years of high school French came back to me when I have. <laughs> <laughs> armed guards asking me, you know, what the hell this is that has wires in a box in French, you know. Yeah. Um, but they, if I had been able to show them a picture of the actual box, it would have been a little bit easier because it took a good half hour before they got somebody there who had the, you know, the, the courage wow. to actually open up the box because they were worried about opening the box. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure you told me this at the time, but I forgot the intensity of that. Yeah, it was easily a half hour. We almost missed our flight to Florence. Oh, um, man. But they, they were nice enough to escort, escort us to the gate, though. They were, they were really good, really professional and nice mm. about it and, and really accommodated us. But it, was, it, it worried me <laughs> quite a bit because they did not want to open that box. Wow. Uh, but, so, but, so that was Stresa after the expo in Montreux, and you didn't... Follow my flyer advice. I, I didn't. I, I didn't. But if I had just taken a flyer for the show, would that really have made it so they? I mean, what would the flyer have said? It's like that. It wouldn't have explained to them why I have this box with wires on it. But maybe if I had a picture of what was in the box, that might have been useful yeah. for them. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But, See. Uh, you know, yeah. you, you got to anticipate their questions. Why are there wires in this box? Right. And then you show yeah. them a picture, and yeah. you show them the flyer, and you're yeah. you're good. But that brings up another thing that I wanted to mention that I, I, I hear people, not, not often, but I do hear people talk about how poorly they're treated by security at the airports and how mm. they're such a hassle and harassing them. And to tell you the truth, I, have, I, I can't remember a time where I really had a problem with TSA. Um, and I think, but what I have had seen people do is come in with an attitude yeah. and insulting and you know what, just in general, you're not going to get too far when you right off start, uh, start out with an attitude, um, yeah. insulting people. Uh, so treat them with respect. 
Mm-hmm. That, I think that's important. Um, and I've, I've never had a problem. I really haven't. Uh, minor things, like I mentioned on one of our episodes, one of the agents was swabbing. And I've, I've said, I've just told them, be very careful. It's very fragile. And they are very careful and don't swab the figure itself. They swab mm-hmm. around it, the box around it. But this guy just happened to brush by this one figure that had a plume and knocked it off. And he was very apologetic. Mm-hmm. Things are going to happen. It is rare. And I really have not had a big problem with them. Have you? Uh, no, no, I've never had a, a, a big problem. Uh, um, you know, there's the Stephen Malia story of uh, uh, a TSA person in uh, Heathrow in London. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, he was trying to explain, you know, you can't fly anywhere from Malta without going through London, apparently. Sure. So, you know, uh, he was trying to explain miniatures in the box. He, he, I think he had a John Jeffries carrier, and yeah. they opened it, and they just stuck the wand in and went left to right, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think his figures were decapitated or de-shielded and de-plumed. And de- that's not, lanced. and that's just. I mean, there are always people out there that are going to have a problem, and, right? And do but things. That's the worst story I've ever heard. Yeah, so. and I and I, I, it's hard to imagine. Uh, well, no, it's not hard to imagine because I've run into some jerks in the world. That's for sure. Um, you are going to run into some people who just are a problem. But I have not seen them act like that, at least in the U.S. And no, 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 me neither. No, or and Italy so, or France. So those are the only two yeah. places I think, other than no Germany. So Germany, Italy, France. I haven't seen that. Uh, but I mean, where we flew into, um, yeah, and, and gone through security. Yeah. So, uh, All right. So you encourage people to carry their figures wherever they'd like. Yep. Yeah. And you mentioned the putty. Yeah. Uh, some some, bl- uh, some brands are called Earthquake Putty. Museum yeah. Putty or Earthquake, earthquake Putty. Putty, yeah. Um, but Blue Tac, there, there's one type of Blue Tac I got. I can't remember what brand, but it's a little bit gummy and sticky. Yeah. And I don't yeah. like that one, but almost every brand of poster putty or museum putty has, has been fine. And it just you just press it down on the base and... Uh, it, it, you know, stick the base to the the, the figure base. Sorry, mm-hmm. stick the figure base to the bottom of the box or your carrier, and it doesn't move. Have you had? Have you had no, a problem no, with no, it no. falling? No, in fact, I, you know the problem I've had sometimes is getting it out. But then I saw this wonderful trick Alan Ball was doing once, mm-hmm. where if you have a clean piece of putty separate, yep. and you take it and you just roll it over the putty that you use to stick yep. down the figure or anything else, it, yep. it lifts it up. It, yeah, it sticks a, to itself very well. Yeah, it's a good trick, like the old uh, rubber cement trick. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Remember Rubber Cement? I liked Rubber yeah. Cement. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So I think we've given some folks some good advice. I hope we get to see uh, people at MFCA um, because we've been doing this podcast uh, two years now in, in isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, I, was, I, was, I was reading. I wasn't what even were you reading? I was reading my notes to make sure we covered everything. I wasn't even listening. Did we cover everything? I think so, but I should have been listening to you at the same time, because now I just screwed up. <laughs> I was talking about how you were planning at MFCA <laughs> to buy everybody who's listened to the podcast a beer. Yeah, yeah. I, I do plan to go. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't plan to be Charles Bukowski in Barfly? Here's to all my friends. No. Oh, all right. Okay. Sorry. All right. Well, Barry, until next time. Yep. We'll see you next time. <laughs>